Welcome to this week's episode of London Heal. I am your host, Tatiana Kosesanov. This week, I'm delighted to introduce to you as my guest, Carol Robertson, PhD. Now, interestingly, I'd been in touch with Carol a while, about, uh, a while ago about getting to this interview together because she has a fascinating topic. And wouldn't you believe it, just in the last week or so, a couple of people have written to me directly asking about this subject. So, London Heal, of course, always delivers when asked. So, here we are with Carol, and this week we're going to be talking about Havening. Now, I came across Havening a couple of years back when I saw the famous hypnotist Paul McKenna use this on stage and was very fascinated to find out about it and have since learned a little bit about it myself. Hopefully, Carol's going to tell us a lot more and was fascinated to find out this is actually quite a science based technique. And Carol was one of the first five Havening trainers in the world. So she got in right at the grassroots level of this technique. She trains and engages internationally with people excited to learn how these new science-based concepts and psychosensory processes can be used for self-development or to help clients achieve relief, recovery, and their goals. Carol's also a member of Just Be Well, a highly regarded international team of therapists. She also first learned about NLP or neuro-linguistic programming back in 1980 and considers this to have been a life-changing experience which has massively informed her teaching, animal training and professional practice. Carol has had a lifelong interest in change and is recognized as a global change maker. Prior to Havening, Carol's aim was to help artists achieve their goals faster, more safely and more easily. She created innovative systems and materials and modernized terminology and characterization. Her ideas have been disseminated in books, trainings, lectures, consulting, and in making art, much of which has been collected by prestigious institutions such as the Tate, the Government, and the Queen's Collection. Her doctorate documents her research and change-making process, and Carol now uses her knowledge to help people and animals find easier and more fun ways to enjoy life. So, Carol, welcome, and thanks for taking the time to speak to me today. Welcome. I'm delighted to be here and to share about Havening. Wonderful. Well, I guess the best place to start is right at the beginning. So why don't you just briefly um, tell the listeners what is Havening? Havening is is unique in the sense that it comes from a science base. And what we're doing is we're working with the electrical system of the brain and the body to generate structural change. So, uh, and we do this with lovely, simple touch that any of us can use ourselves. So it's wonderfully portable. All we need is ourselves and our imagination and the knowledge of how to use this. And I love the science of it because for me, it answered so many questions that I had been seeking since I was about 13. Uh, so it's, we're in a very exciting time of neuroscience to understand how we can best live our lives. And uh, Dr. Ronald Roon, who created Havening, talks about having a better life through neuroscience. So it's um, the Havening techniques themselves seem very simple. Uh, they're very they're very clean, I think, and they're very much a they're very much a system that you can be very creative within when you understand the principles of it. And the science can be explained. Seven-year-olds can understand science, but you can also really delve into it. I'm going to uh, provide a link at the end uh, on my website, which takes you to a paper written by Dr. Ronald Rudin, which really allows you to delve into the science, into all the intricacies of it. So it's exciting, I think. Right. So psychosensory, by definition, by the, the, the word itself, means that you're linking brain and a sensory experience. Um, so how is havening for you're, example? You're, in, you're inputting um, sensory, you're using a sensory input to generate an electrical change. Right. Right. So how does havening, for example, cha- um, uh, 
compare with other similar techniques like um, EMDR or yeah. uh, tapping? Because they they are are they related? Are they just sort of different? Yes, ways? they would be classified as psychosensory techniques as well. So, as you see, EMDR, um, thought field therapy, um, EFT. Um, and then there's a few others, aren't there? Some, some new ones made up in Havening. Uh, Havening is different because it comes rather than looking, TFT originated, Callahan originated out of uh, studying acupuncture mm-hmm. and then moving on from there. And then, of course, EFT was a came, was born of TFT. Uh, what Dr. Ronald Rudin's done is he's taken a, he's investigated it and looked at you know, how is this working? What is happening? And, you know, had a real eureka moment after years of looking at it and thinking about it and got all these ideas coming together and under, suddenly understood that it was an electrical process and that's why these methods are very fast. And the changes they make are structural changes in the brain, so the tissue in the brain is changed permanently. Right. So is this more, are these changes um, at a biochemical level? Are they at a neuroplasticity level? What's They're at a neuroplasticity level. Okay. And that can happen that quickly? Yeah. So when we actually, um, when we have a traumatic experience, um, let's look at learning, first of all, because that's probably, that's usually the way that I explain it. On, on a training or to clients as well. So if we think of, um, and I usually use my hands to show it, if I'm teaching children, I'll use my hands. So if you imagine my two hands in the air, um, and they could almost be metaphors for uh, you know a corridor with a room at the end. And so then if you imagine the, the people running down the corridor towards into the room, and imagine those people uh, dressed up as, uh, el- you know, electrochemicals and electricity, um, neurotransmitters, and they're rushing down into that room. And then they, you imagine they're going to the sales or something in a building opposite. So they rush out the doors and into the space between, which in the brain we call the synapse. So they're in that space and that activates the 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 room on the other side, if you like, the building on the other side, the other neuron, activates that and doors open in the cell surface. So it's like doors opening on the building. So they spring open and the the neurochemicals can, can go inside that building, if you like, and make changes by being there. So they go inside the, the other neuron and then they rush down. So we see when we look at animations of the brain, we see this great surge of electricity, down across the synapse and then the activity continuing on. So we can think of it like traffic. Um, And so when we're learning something, say we're at school and we're learning the times table and the teacher is uh, repeating the times table and then at some point the teacher may say, okay, you know, who can tell me what three threes are? They're going to get a gold star and points for their team. So there's a surge of excitement and uh, somebody goes, you know, it's nine you know, three threes or nine. And um, what's happening is that neural pathway's got more traffic in it. And at that point, the doors actually kind of lock open. So it's like if we imagine those doors being cemented open permanently. And we call that long-term potentiation. And that that was uh, identified and named in 1964. So that's how we learn. It's um, That's why in teaching, we do a lot of repetition and we might learn something in different sensory ways. You know, we might, first of all, watch somebody doing it and then we might write about it and then we might act it out. Uh, we might make a clay model of it or something like that so that we are exploring it in different ways and we're strengthening that, that neural connection. When we learn something new like, um, you know, like I'm talking just now about the structure of two neurons being attracted to each other and forming a what we call a neural pathway. If we map that across into something that we can we know very well, like oh, rushing down a corridor and into a room and across a gap and hoping for the doors of the cinema or the sales to open or something we're excited about or our friend's house, 
then we have a we have lots of neural networks about that already, so we can learn faster because we're we're mapping it across. So so our brain goes, oh yeah, I can picture that, I can imagine that, and we speed our learning up. So understanding how we learn and how these learning process, the process of long term potentiation, has actually kind of shaped our brain so our brain is like a sculpture with all these millions of pathways interacting with each other and and when that child's in the classroom learning about the three times table their brain is also taking in so many other things so it's taking in the smell of the classroom the noise of the teacher how the teacher moves the other children in the room, the sort of scent of the whole place, the acoustic of the place, the colours, the pictures on the wall, maybe a particular picture that they liked or didn't like. Um, at the time, um, their journey there, all sorts of information is mapped onto that. And so that's what we're doing. We, we learn through our, through our senses and we learn, we learn electrically. It's called transducing. Uh, so it's very exciting um, and it's very like art in a way because we're, it's all of the, that sensory uh, components that we're, that we're storing. Um, when we get a fright, what happens is our amygdala becomes active in our limbic system and we learn at high speed. So it's a much faster process and we could think of it as a one-time learning. And this happens at 100 hertz. So it's high speed and happens in the right amygdala, in a particular part of the right amygdala. And if you read Ron's papers, you'll find out where. And if you come to study evening, you'll find out the actual ins and outs of this. But for today, we'll just talk about the, the right amygdala. And so it's the same structure. So it's a, the two neurons uh, are attracted, but it happens very quickly. And so the... The doorways, the ampere receptors on the, the opposite neuron surface spring open and they're, 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 they come from deeper down in the neuron. They come up, up the side, come onto the surface. It happens really quickly and then they lock in place and they're held open there. And so that all the sensory information that happens at that time of the fright, same sort of thing, the smells, the colours, the patterns, the time. Um, the whole thing, the, the way that you're breathing, your posture, everything is encoded. So the brain doesn't differentiate. We might sort of think, well, the bit that's really scary is uh, this bit. But, you know, we might be saying at, at that very moment, we might be saying, oh, I'm having a wonderful time. This is so great. And then, boom, we get fried. So that encodes also our 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 words of saying, oh, this is wonderful or or thinking that, or even our smile. So then later on, when we encounter that again, when we maybe wake up in the morning and think, oh, I'm having a wonderful time, or we're in the car, and we think, oh, this is great, then we activate that pathway again. So when the pathway is activated again, we get the same cascade of chemical changes. So this and, is and this the is reason, for, for example, why quite often in, in cases of trauma, that the people may not even be able to remember the exact event. There's a whole load of biochemistry, biochemistry reasons why that happens, why your memory gets switched off. But, but sometimes the weirdest thing, like a sound, a smell, a color, will trigger that trauma all over yeah. again, even though they may actually not have to hand the precise details of what happened. Is that that's a similar process, right? Yes, that that's that's a good description of it. So we probably we all have information we that we've learned. We all have neural pathways in our amygdala. Um, you know, I think they've done studies of people like the Dalai Lama and there's very little activity, you know, when we look in the MRI in the amygdala. But most of us, um, you know, I had a fair wardrobe full of, of <laughs> things like that, you know. And I think if you think about um, being, and I find this through animal training, but if you think about a child and, uh, you know, children are just, they're into everything, aren't they? They're crawling around and putting everything into their mouth and, and uh, you know, so active. And, of course, at some point they're, they're very happy doing that of exploring the world at some point somebody's going to go no stop you know and uh and and kind of block that 
So it's very easy for learning to happen in the amygdala. And then, uh, as you say, the sensory, the, that package of information may be something that we're, we're either aware of or we're not aware of. So it's very interesting when you start to, uh, we call this the, the, the whole structure of this, the landscape. So if you imagine somebody has had uh, a fright early in life and then a sequence of frights, they'll have a lot of neural pathways in the amygdala. And if, if all of those things happened in a domestic situation like their house or their, the town that they live in, then there's lots of opportunities for that to get triggered and, and to be built on. So the network builds in, in that area. And then each time the person throughout life, they might uh, this might carry on until they're 80 years old, they get triggered every time they smell the privet hedge or they see a blue car or a blue jersey or a blue carpet or, you know, it's, uh, and they're flooded with adrenaline and cortisol. So then this raises your cortisol and uh, leads to basically allostatic load, which is an unhealthy state to be in. So the beautiful thing about havening is that we can start to empty that wardrobe, if you like. So we can start to what's called depotentiate those pathways deliberately. So in the last sort of decade, we've discovered more about neuroplasticity. And in those discoveries, we discovered that uh, the, the neural pathways, so we're talking about long-term potentiation. Let's go back to thinking about the other parts of the brain where we learn about things we like. So we might learn we love strawberries and cream or Wimbledon or something. And so those neural pathways to do with that are there and um, when they've looked at these neural pathways they've discovered that about 30% of them are depotentiating. So depotentiating describes the opposite process to potentiation. So if you imagine again the two hands in the air and fingers stuck out to represent the ampar receptors or you imagine those two the two corridors with the two rooms and the space in between and the, the neurotransmitters as people running about between them. So if you imagine what happens is that the, the open doors close and actually are they're actually reabsorbed into the neuron there they're, and they're recycled. So the surface of the neuron is back to how it was before. So if it was a building, it would be like taking the doors out and bricking up and doing a nice plaster job. So you, you could rush across the space, but you couldn't get in and do things in that, in that building. You just wouldn't be able to do that. So you could hang around and then kind of give in. So it's a little bit like that. So when depotentiation occurs, the person comes across their trigger, say it's the blue, um, the blue colour. So they come across that, the traffic runs down the neuron, but it can't get into the opposite neuron. And so eventually the neurons separate away, that attraction's over. So the, the pathway is, is no longer functioning. So therefore all the symptoms whatever those were, that cascade of changes that would have started with cortisol and then all of the things that move into from the parasympathetic system into the sympathetic system and then however that person expresses. So one person might express by being really angry, another person might express by having back pain, another person might get a rash, another person might freeze and think, I don't want to go out or I don't want to do that. Uh, another person may just simply say, I don't like blue. So it gets very fascinating when we start to think about our likes and our dislikes and our responses and to start to realise that this is just simply the activity of our amygdala. And right. it's very simple and very straightforward. And with havening, we can just clearly say to ourselves, well, I could, you know, I could depotentiate that neural pathway and then what would happen? You know, I would be symptom-free. Right. What an amazing goal. So what? just to, just so that um, I can understand this and the listeners too, so you've beautifully described what actually happens in the brain. So a normal connection is made by, let's just summarise this quickly, by these um, 
These receptors uh, are expressed on the surface of the neuron. They're brought up to the surface of the cell and they're locked into place so that that, that gap between the two, sin uh, the two neurons and the synaptic gap, there's a communication that's open the whole time. Yeah, it like, it like lets the traffic through. Right. Right. So that there's a flow and then the exactly. cascade of changes can happen by of information and all the downstream yeah. events that that that, that trigger. Yeah, exactly. And then when you do a technique such as havening, essentially what you're doing is you're you're closing off the transmission across that synaptic gap. You're you're um, unlocking those receptors, yeah. letting them go back in. So that free flow of yeah. information. How do we do that is the question. So what's yeah. the actual technique that brings that about? Because that's amazing. It is amazing. And then there's another thing about havening that's amazing because havening, it turns out, is also really good at uh, helping us reconsolidate um, memory, we might call it. But of course, it's our memories, of course, relate to the neural structure. So havening, we also use havening to generate potentiation. Okay. So new neural pathways so we have the other thing happening so we have the receptors coming up to the surface and coming through the surface and then engaging and opening up and allowing traffic that way and creating a new cascade of change so it has these two amazing so both potentiation and depotentiation and the the chemistry involved in that is when we're doing havening touch on some occasions uh, GABA is involved and, and other times when we're doing heavenly touch glutamate is involved okay so to so neurotransmitters right yeah and they kind of do they they enable different functions so when you're a havening practitioner you are thinking about these things when you're working with yourself or you're helping somebody else so you're kind of aware of them and you're considering that when you're working and you're considering uh, how the landscape has been formed, how the landscape may be and what may happen when that landscape changes. So the havening itself is, is so sim simple and beautiful in that sense. So we, when we're using touch to uh, transduce this sensory input to, to start these changes, what we found scientifically was there are certain areas of the body. So um, under, underneath the eyes and you know across the forehead. And the touches that we use, we call them all havening touch. Um, they're quite gentle touches. They're quite smooth. Like a soft and they can be yeah. yeah, they can be self-applied. Sometimes you can make like a little, like tiny little almost sort of tappings but they're not really they're little dots like sometimes when Ron havened me it felt like little stars mm -hmm. even though it looked like a long slow touch it wasn't a dragging touch it was a, a little delicate kind of touch um, the other areas that we found generate delta wave are the palms and from the shoulder down to the elbow Mm -hmm. which is quite a, a firm, slow, steady, comforting uh, touch. And all of these touches, all of the havening touch, provide uh, an automatic change to a slower brainwave, which is called delta wave. And it's the delta wave that engages, we think it engages with calcium, and that creates these neurochemical changes, these electrical changes. So we're really we're really utilizing that. So it's it's very simple and very easy for people to use. So it can be if somebody was very distressed, the havener could apply the havening touch and that allows them to really focus on what they're thinking about. Or you can self-apply. It's easy to self-apply. And we can increase the oxytocin levels as well by imagining somebody we love applying the touch so it's it's um it's a it's a it's a, it's a physical process if you like and and it makes great sense of um of touch if you think of touch in our lives so when you're born the mum touches 
and that's a creates safety. It's a signal of safety for the baby. So we're signaling to the brain that, that you're safe. Now, going back to talking about when we get a fright, when we, when we learn in our amygdala, when we're traumatised, one of the things that Ron's come up with, which I think is just incredibly useful, is whether we're working on self-development or whether we're working helping people, is a concept that we call Emily. So it's four components. And the idea of it is that you encounter a, an event. That event has meaning for you. So usually that kind of tracks back to some of the key things like um, fear of abandonment or fear of the loss of life or fear of loss of your loved ones. But it can also be uh, fear of loss of face, um, you know, situations at work or being exposed or bullied or any of these things that are so common in our society um, or things like Brexit. So fear of being able to stay in a country yeah, or high stress there's so much fear activation you know used you know so um so basically meanings we've got an event we've got meaning and then of course our landscape and depending on how our landscape is at that that time is our landscape vulnerable? You know, have we been in maybe perhaps ill or under stress or some other traumas happened in our lives recently? So our landscape can change over time. It could even change from day to day depending on what's happening. So we, we consider how the landscape of the person was when this, this thing was happening. And then the fourth component is very important. It's about escapability. And so traumatization happens, we believe, when the thing is inescapable. So there's loads of things that are inescapable, aren't there, when we start to think about it. Um, so, and often we make something inescapable in our mind. We think, oh, I'm really trapped in this marriage or in this job or in this place, in this house I can't sell. Or, um, and we build on that. So, so understanding about this quadrant can be very useful. And then the havening processes, we make fantastic use of both our memory to activate the neural pathways that we're interested in changing or developing and also our imagination to change those outcomes to being, so quite often we'll change it to being escapable. And that's one of the reasons that it works so well. So we're saying to the brain, you're safe through the touch, and we're creating that, that cascade of uh, electrical changes, which create chemical changes and then behavioral changes, and, and then beliefs as well. We start to change our beliefs about ourselves. But we're also, um, I was going to say, uh, we're also uh, using our imagination to create different aspects of safety, and these are the these are the components that make it so effective to use. It's um, fascinating, completely fascinating. So if I've got this right, so essentially what you're doing with with this touch is you're putting the brain into this kind of delta wave, which is actually pretty close to deep sleep brain pattern yeah, it is which it is, is yeah. yeah so you're telling what you're, you're you're making essentially one signal louder than the other so you've got on the one hand you've got the memory going of all of the trauma or the distress or whatever it is that's bothering you or the phobia and yeah. on the other hand you're giving the brain this message of you're safe and you just essentially have to make the you're safe message louder than the than the memory and then the memory will just kind of biochemically switch off have i understood that correctly yeah the, so in event havening which is a really fabulous technique and it's so comfortable um what, what would happen is that you think about you might actually just be living your life and notice that you're triggered uh, or you might be working with somebody who gets you to track back to the first time you experience something a bit like the thing that's happening now so it might be um, you know problems at work but actually the first time you ever felt frightened of um, being in front of a huge audience was when you were a kid in primary one when mm -hmm. you know you were pulled up in front of the class and humiliated so you so that would be the basis of building that neural landscape so that would be the one it's a bit sometimes I see to clients it's a bit like Lego it's a bit like so you made that Lego block and then you built more Lego blocks on top of it 
Right. So we could work and we could take the Lego blocks off one by one from the top, or we could go, mm, actually, when you think about that early experience, that's the, the sort of base Lego block, if you like. And often people can think about that one really comfortably because it's a long time ago. So you just map into that, you access that memory and the sensory information of the time, you know, what was that classroom like and uh, who was sitting next to you. And it's like that, it's a bit like looking at an old school photograph. You suddenly start to remember it all, you suddenly start to bring it to the surface. And you would notice the emotions that you, that you, that you respond to because what's happening is it's activating the neural pathway, which creates a cascade of chemistry. So in the now, you have an emotional response which you might experience as a kind of kinesthetic feeling or you might be able to say, oh, I feel really embarrassed. You might go red or begin to perspire. But you probably only think about it for a few, you know, like 30 seconds, a minute. And then, as you say, we do what we call a distraction. So we start the hating touch. So we start to, the brainwaves slow down. You go into delta wave, you go into this deep sleep state, which you're really in control of yourself. And then uh, you start to think about things that you like. So if you're working with a practitioner, they might get you to, they might find out beforehand that you really like curry and that you really like going to the, the moors with your dogs and go out there when the sky is all dramatic and everything and picking wildflowers and things. So your practitioner would know that and they would say, okay, close your eyes and you'd be doing a havening touch and imagine yourself in that place now and, and then get you to do a few things like maybe humming or counting or telling the names of colours or the names of birds or what do you see or what the clouds like or something like that so that your brain is very active and so that the amygdala is very quiet. So you're getting and buzzing, buzzing away. And it's great to work with a practitioner for that because a good practitioner is, you know, on the outside of you watching that you're really happy. So, in fact, you spend six minutes, say, and five of those minutes you're having great fun. Then you have a pause, think about it, and deep attention will have taken place. So what generally happens is the person can now talk about the memory but the emotional response has changed. So they feel, uh, they might feel calm. They might feel confident. They might feel curious. They might say, oh, I'm really strong now. Or, I was just a, I was just a little child then. Or, or they might say, I can do a great presentation at work. You know, I know exactly where I'm, I'm going to go. But what's happened physically is that the neural pathway and probably many neural pathways have deep attentiated. And so the when the person stimulates the idea, they're not getting they're getting a different cascade of electrical activity and a different cascade of chemicals, therefore a different set of responses. Right. If that if that initial um pattern, uh, the neural pattern of, of something which is a traumatic event or a series of events, landscape, whatever. You know, I, I always like to think of these things as sort of like a path through the forest that, you know, when you keep walking that path, it, it's it's devoid of, of anything and, and the path is down to the ground. But as soon as you stop walking it, all of the kind of bush and undergrowth starts to grow back again. So how does that work in havening? If you've got if you've got one of these old established neural pathways that's been going for a long time, and you say something like havening is about six minutes of procedure. Is that really enough to just completely and permanently close that? Or does the havening process also have to be repeated over time to stop that undergrowth growing back over that path, if you see what I mean? Yeah, so our, our amygdala is a little bit like um, having an antivirus system or, a, or a, an alarm system around our garden and house. And so it's always ahead of us, if you like. So it's always scanning all that sensory information coming in, looking for a match, you know, checking it. And uh, so it's a little bit like, you know, I find on my computer, I mean, we're much more sophisticated than a computer. We kind of based computers a bit on ourselves, didn't we? But I find on my computer, that I'm always sort of changing things on Facebook and I change my emails and things. But I rarely go into my antivirus settings and change things there. And it's a little bit the same with our brain. You know, we 
it's it that's you know it's just working all the time it's keeping us safe it's 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 doing it and that's why people sometimes report feeling really happy and free of symptoms on holiday because when they're on holiday they're not uh, activating the same neural pathways as they perhaps are at home so symptoms sometimes go away when somebody moves house or uh, starts to do something different and, and that's because they're, they're not being it's not being activated so much as there. So to answer your question, when you depotentiate a neural pathway and the ampere receptors are absorbed back into the neuron and they're recycled, then the traffic can't run anymore. The cascade of responses ceases. So symptoms related to that pathway will also cease. And then the person finds themselves in a place where they can think about the situation with the rest of their brain so they can suddenly find a funny side creative side um, find solutions feel really calm uh, and be able to choose behaviors rather than being on this kind of autopilot you know for people when when we have a lot of uh neural pathways built in the active in the amygdala quite often what happens is we're fast to go to rage that's one of the things you see that that quick rage response that means there's, there's a lot built there right. to yet changes and then what we can also use is we can use havening on a daily basis if we want to so you know i will uh, before i go to bed at night i'll just do a little bit of havening touch and i'll say um you know i hope i have a lovely sleep that's really healthy and i wake up at such and such time feeling refreshed and, da, da, da. and if I want to solve something, I might say, and I might find a solution for such and such that I'm thinking about as I sleep and dream. And then in the morning, I might do a little bit when I'm in the shower or something, you know, stroking my arms and my face and I wash my face. I might say, and you start to become aware of that. You think, oh, I'm actually doing some haven touch here, so I might as well utilise it. I'm generating that delta wave. What would that like to happen? I hope today is really you know, fulfilling day and I hope I can help lots of people and it's going to be a great day. So you can do a bit of gratitude or uh, whatever you're working on, really. So you're activating helpful neural pathways that give you helpful uh, electrical, electrochemistry, if you like, and, 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 and behaviours. Right, so you in yourself. Two things there that I really need to find out more about, but let me let me hopefully try and remember both of them. The first one is... You mentioned um, uh, in the in the previous thing about um, you call it event havening, which leads me to think there must be different types of havening practices. Yeah. Let's go there first. Um, could you maybe describe a couple of the different practices? Yeah, there's um, there's one that the hypnotists I think would really like storytellers would really like and it's called outcome havening and um, usually we would do outcome havening after we've done a bit of event havening so the person is um, suddenly able to talk about it and feel okay so um, so they're in that kind of place where they're mm, that thing happened and then uh, what you do is you look at the kind of out the outcome that had happened and then you think what would have been a different kind of outcome a different story so you might um make it quite fantastical you might make um you might you know I was working with somebody recently and they became superwoman and then they had lots of burglars who were kind of turned into paper cutouts and they had kojak and the professionals and you know <laughs> everything happening you know all these different things happening and so they told the story again uh, they build the story and you kind of help them build the story. Or they might, um, you know, they might have been feeling very timid. And so in the new outcome, they might decide that they're going to be the Hulk, you know. So they decide on that and they build it. And the people are just fantastically creative. And then they relax back and you as a evening practitioner begin the evening touch or they can do the evening touch themselves, but they're relaxed. And you tell them their story, their new outcome. and. Um, and the brain reconsolidates this, and so they they they're free of the of that cascade in that way as well. And I think that's a great one for changing behaviours actually, and you can do a lot with it. So you can do um, that's a kind of classic outcome evening, but there's you can also use lots of other kinds of processes with that. You might just want to 
change the outcome of their beliefs about themselves. That, so that's actually the, exactly the second part of the question that I had. Thank goodness I remembered. Um, was that, you know, because I, with the event havening, when you were describing that, I could see the association very clearly with a specific event, a trauma, a specific yeah. memory. But what you're talking about now with the outcome havening, that's more for like kind of making more general shifts like you know I'm I'm you know shy or uh I'd like to eat better or whatever whatever so you yeah or I can't do public speaking right exactly so that is in that case it's more kind of a general thing as opposed to a specific event so or it's kind of built up from the event so the, the the sort of the traumatic event then we build a belief from that that you know we we can't do that again or we're not good at that or um, we're ugly or or something like that so yeah you can do all sorts of different outcomes and then there's another beautiful technique called role hate mine it's just extraordinary actually it's an extraordinary effect so i'll give you an example of of my own experience of role havening i um i very much I admired my professor when I was at University College London. He was fantastic. And uh, we he very much ran a very traditional studio, which was based on 500 years of discipline. Everything was black. And they tended to be in sort of cellars or attics. And it was very, very macho and very black. And uh, the ink was black. So it kind of meant that you could never see where the black was. So to, to handle your paper, you used to use little uh, little clips. So you could have filthy black hands and in a filthy black environment, but pick up your beautiful, expensive paper with these little clips. So, you, so it was so strange. It was like wearing gloves to be clean. <laughs> so when, when I uh, left, you know, finished my postgraduate and started a studio, I, I thought about it in an out-of-the-box kind of way and thought, what happens if we make the studio white? So I made a white studio with lots of glass surfaces painted white underneath so that when you made a big black handprint somewhere, you saw it and you could just wipe it off with a rag. It's easy to wipe clean. And that meant that you could have clean hands for your paper and the whole place stayed clean because everybody cleaned up because you could see it. So you no longer kind of leaned on something and found you were black. And I brought plants in and I painted the floor a nice colour and brought in kind of colours into the space. And it was a big light, like a big greenhouse type space. And it became quite famous and people started coming from all over the world and, and he wanted to come and see it. So I was thrilled by this. I didn't think about it. I was really busy and I didn't think about it too much. But I thought about it and I thought, hmm, he's going to get a shock. It's not in an attic. It's not black. It's all white and dazzling and full of colour. Um, I never thought about that. Anyway, there was a big double door into this huge, it's like a TARDIS. You open these double doors, you're in this big studio. So uh, I was so excited. And so he came with me and I opened the doors, da-da. And I really wanted him to say, you know, how fantastic, like, you know, you turned out to be a good student after all. (laughs) This is great. How did you work this out? How does it work? To be really curious and excited by it. But he didn't. He was horrified. He was absolutely horrified. He felt betrayed. He felt abandoned. So I traumatized. So basically, so I activated his amygdala, and he was he was very angry with me. So that that's the thing that happened, and I could not talk about it. We we fell out completely. He was really angry with me, um, and it was a great loss because he was an important person in my life. So roll on evening, many, many years later, when I was 20, in my middle 20s when all that happened. So roll on evening, and we were doing a training here, and one of the uh, delegates was doing roll evening with me. So she became him. He was a great Portuguese man, great deep voice, and she was a, a, a delicate lady. And so I closed my eyes. And she, we talked about everything that happened. And I was sort of crying and upset about it and what I would have liked him to say. And then I closed my eyes and she applied the Havening Touch and she became him. And she said all of the things that I had wanted to hear. And so after the process, I just felt amazing. And I can talk about, I can talk about it now to you. I can... Uh, 
I, I don't remember it all in the same way. Now that's not become, I remember all the things that, all the fun we had that predated and all the great experiences that we had. Whereas before that was like a sort of terrible, it kind of blocked all the other memories of a good good thing. And I find that's often the case with uh, people who've lost somebody they love and they maybe didn't get the chance to say goodbye or they said something that they wished they hadn't said. Rohaidening provides us with a place where we can create an escape from that. So we're, we're again, it's the, the Havening touch creates a delta wave, we feel safe and, uh, and we create a story that has an escape in it. And uh, it's very calming for the system. It brings us back to, to balance rather than having this very active amygdala. Wow, amazing. I can, I can see the, the applications of that, you know, in so many ways. Um, because most of the issues that we have in life invariably have to do with another person, let's be honest. So uh, <laughs> I can see something like role havening as being super powerful, which kind of leads me on to ask, you know, you, you've talked a lot about um, fears, anxieties, um, trauma-related, even up to severe trauma like PTSD. Yeah. Um, what kind of things other than the ones that we've mentioned is Havening good for? And actually, perhaps almost more importantly, because there's a lot of therapists who actually tune into London Heal. I'd be interested to know what doesn't it work for? At what point does this therapy actually kind of reach its boundaries? Mm. Well, I think we're, we're finding out as more and more people join our community, we have a vibrant community, we have a really active, it's a, it's a closed Facebook group, but both uh, Dr. Ronald Rudin and his twin brother, Stephen Rudin, uh, who's our director of education, they talk, they speak to people on the forum so we can ask them things, all the trainers pretty much come on to the forum, I'm active there, and then we have this great range of practitioners one of the things I love about being involved in Havening is it provides a, a platform for people from many different disciplines to come. And it's an equal platform. And so it creates this wonderful kind of cross-fertilization where you learn about different approaches. We have people who are doctors, anaesthetists, uh, nurses, uh, teachers, um, are working with um, pregnant moms, are working with end-of-life situations, are performance coaches kind of super coaches, um, nursery school teachers, just, you know, massage therapists. You can imagine cranial sacral therapists. So many people with different uh, ranges of experience. And so we're learning all the time. So there's all sorts of niches that we probably never would have thought of. I, I've developed a way of working uh, with, with animals and it's actually beneficial for some animals as well, which is a, another side to it. Because obviously they've also got a neural landscape and uh, you can use touch and, and you can use the, the concepts uh, when you're training animals. So, so, so we're just learning this. So many applications that we didn't think of. We're always keen to speak to people, you know, find out what they wanting to do or what they could, uh, how they maybe could use it. And Dr. Ron says things, says that things like OCD happen in a different area of the brain. So perhaps not OCD. However, I've worked with people who've uh, been really suffering, you know, really suffering, you know, huge problems with OCD and you know, spending, you know, eight hours of their day caught in a, in a loop. That's, that's a huge chunk of your day. Um, and causing lots of health issues and everything from it. And what I found with that was that there was a, a traumatic event that was at the base of that landscape. So when we found that and she was able to depotentiate that, then the symptoms of this repeat behaviour stopped. So I've had success with that. Um, if, if you can find that underlying landscape... So we're learning all the time things like chronic pain, people working with chronic pain, people working with um, you know, first responders. So that's that's a huge one. There's an interesting study done in, in Oxford Hospital, which kind of relates. It's a little bit like event happening, what they were doing. They got very good results. So half the people who came into accident in the emergency just 
were just left as they normally would be. And the other half were taken through a process, which to me is very similar to Event Havening, where they got them to do some Tetris. So they basically occupied. They didn't do Havening Touch. It would be wonderful if they'd done Havening Touch as well. And those that half of the group went on to... Uh, to be pretty symptom-free, whereas the other group who who just left their own devices as normal, they had a higher incidence of post-traumatic stress, plus symptoms like flashbacks and, and chronic pain and so forth from that. So um, it'd be wonderful to see havening being used, you know, as a in you know, in accident and emergency. Great. And just in our communities, really. Absolutely, absolutely. It's so, oh, wow. I'm just looking at the time. It always rushes past way too quickly. I don't know um, if I would just uh, wrap up maybe with, a, with the last question, which, which you already just um, uh, started to address actually there, which is how can we look to this technique for implementation in the future? Because I always think, you know, looking at the way these things are going, you talked about the fact that you've got such an inter, interdisciplinary input of information from all the different therapists so beginning to see how it applies but I'd be interested to see like um, you just mentioned that it was used in a hospital and we recently spoke to David Dixon about um, Michael Dixon I'm sorry about um, uh, the social prescribing and uh, this is exactly the sort of thing that I can imagine would be a useful technique for people who are having issues of their daily lives. I mean, it's it's presumably not super expensive. There's no complicated equipment. There's no drugs. Yeah. There's, there's a well-trained therapist. And after a while, I assume they can even learn how to do this themselves, as you pointed out. So yeah. where do you, you think? Learn. Yeah, you can learn very, sorry. No, well, I was just saying, where do you see the applications for something like Havening in, in the future? Yeah, so we didn't cover so much that there's a, a whole section of havening techniques that you can use to build helpful neural pathways. And, and these are something that everybody can use. So they're things like noticing what you're affirming. So you can notice, uh, you might be affirming, oh, I'm really ugly or I'm really fat or I'm really stupid or something. Actually, you know, you're actually making that neural pathway have more traffic. You're making it more active. You're kind of adding more Lego blocks. And that's really going to create allostatic load. So the enhavening is a wonderful technique called transpirational enhavening. So it's just brilliant. I think it's particularly suited to Scottish people. So when you're having a kind of rant like that, you might be doing it internally. You just, what you do is you just start to do the havening touch. It speeds the whole process up. So you do the havening touch and you might go, I'm ugly, I'm ugly, I'm ugly, I'm ugly. And what happens very, very quickly is that... Um, it depotentiates basically so it's it's can be in seconds it's so fast and it sounds like uh that you're reading something at first a bit passionate oh, i'm just I'm so convinced of this thing i'm affirming it so solidly i am this thing i've been this thing always kind of thing um and then suddenly it sounds like you're reading a really boring article you know and there's no conviction and uh people will sort of say things like i'm not i'm not doing that anymore that's stupid i'm uh, and so as a, pra- as a practitioner, you learn to be very fast because the changes are so quick that you hear that. It's, it's not that they think the process is stupid, it's they think that that way of thinking that they were doing is stupid. And then they may move to another affirm- affirmation, which is like, I'm actually, you know, I'm pretty sensible, really, or I'm okay, or I'm fine. And then you can pick that up and then you can move into, you can move from transpirational evening, changing those affirmations which aren't helpful to moving into these to to strengthening these affirmations that are helpful. So you just keep on doing having touch to go. I'm okay. You know, whatever it is that you that you came forward saying, I'm safe. I'm okay. It's fine. I can um, I can learn. I'll do some more studying kind of thing. And uh, so those those methods are really good. And you can use methods uh, like uh, using a. a when we really say we're ill or something like that, we can say, I'm hopeful I'm going to get well. Or we might say, what if I get well? And then that activates all that sensory information because we start thinking, well, I could go onto the moors and walk my dog if I was well, or I could 
eat that nice cake if I was well, or I could go and see my friends if I was well, or I could maybe go and do a bit of work if I was well, make some money, and then I could do that. And, I, and then so you, you're activating all of that neurology, which sometimes we, we stop using if we get a fright, we, we get a diagnosis of some sort of illness or something, suddenly we start going, you know, the other way. So there's a, there's a great range of techniques I'm only mentioning, some of them. And I think that if what I've experienced going to schools and teaching children, that the young children take it very easily. They love the idea of neuroplasticity and the idea that they can, if they can learn how to get into their different kinds of sweeties, they can learn how to do English better. They just have to apply the same sort of enthusiasm to it. So, so understanding about potentiation takes away the mystery of learning. We can all learn uh, as possible, especially if we can quieten our amygdala, which of course blocks us learning as right. soon as we start to get scared. And that can change how teachers are. Because once you understand that, you know, you put the spotlight on somebody, you're creating an Emily, that's going to restrict their teaching. So you're going to stop doing that. It's like when I do dog training, I don't use the word no. I use a mutually exclusive behaviour. So if the dog goes to bark at the postman, I say, hey, I think I'm mutually exclusive behaviour. Hey, come and sit on your mat and give me a paw or something. Or look at me. Well, there you go. There's a treat. So shortly now he hears the postman and he thinks, oh, I'll go and sit on my mat and I'll get a treat. <laughs> so he might go, woof. And then he'll rush over and sit on his back because that's actually, you know, he gets more out of that. So all of these kind of concepts we can start to use. So um, in terms of sort of social prescribing, if we could integrate it into, when we integrate it into our communities, it could change so many different things. It could change how we behave in management, how we behave in business. Do we give our, do we use threats? Do we, do we create fear? And once we start recognising fear, you know, when I listen to news and things, I think, yeah, you just don't activate my amygdala. Get away with you. <laughs> you know, like, shoot. That's that. a very polite way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> Are you not having that? I just turn you off. You know? um, or I'll do a bit of havening. If, it, if, it's, if I'm thinking about it a lot, I think, well, I'll just do a bit of havening about that. You know? Brexit, Brexit, whatever. Um, and... Uh, We've got cases, we've got um, some really good examples like um, the charity Chris's House in Scotland is, has been fantastic. They're uh, a centre for enemies affected by suicide. You can go there and work with a havening practitioner, teach them how to do havening. It's been fantastic. So I think that's a good example of, of you know, having the access to this in the community. So I'm just hoping it's going to you know, if we can get the information out to as many people as possible, over the last five years, we've built um, a really fantastic base of a range of people from a range of disciplines becoming certified practitioners. Uh, it's, a, it's an exciting training because you learn about the neuroscience and you learn the techniques. So it's a lovely mixture of practical and concepts and it's supported learning. Uh, so I think it's it's a good training. I really enjoyed doing it myself and people seem to get a lot out of it. And yeah. Great. Well, we'll put all of the, um, we'll put the links to your website on, uh, in the show notes so that anybody who's interested and on the one hand, actually experiencing havening as a, as a therapeutic technique for themselves, or in fact, as you said, you train trainers so and teachers. So our therapists who want to actually put this into practice you can they can come and learn the techniques with you and uh, yeah. find out more information and if i remember correctly i think isn't there like a little kind of animated graphic on your on your website as well about the um the science of the of the havening and how it works um if if not maybe i've got it mixed. i think there might be a little video it's right a little video and yeah. i thought that was brilliant because that just like totally totally helps you kind of conceptualize what's going on so carol thanks ever so much i'm I, uh, a fascinating technique i'm really glad you told us more about it because I, I didn't know any of the details as i said i saw paul mckenna use it and i thought well if he's using it, it's got to be good um <laughs> and it's been really great for you to uh to tell us a little bit more about how it works and some of the different applications um I acknowledge you very much for, for the work that you're doing. I think it's um, it's an amazing technique. And I think it's, as you said, very important to get this information out there. And I hope uh, in some small way we can support you doing that by having you. Thank here. you. 
podcast. I have three little questions I always ask all of my guests just to wind down. So I'm going to jump on you with those. So London Heal is all about mind, body, spirit, medicine. And I like to capture that in the terms health, happiness and serenity. So for you personally, how do you define the word health? What does it mean for you? I think health's like a kind of balance. Um, and so I think it's interesting that at the moment we can go to a mass if we feel like our muscles are sore, our backs or our necks, or of course, you know, people in, in our with our fascinations, we know that a lot of those things are caused by the way our way we shaped our brains, what we've been talking about. But we can, you know, it's people go they go and get some massage or some chiropractic or some physiotherapy. And I'd like to see Havenite on the high street in that same way. So, you know. You go and change the structure of your brain and learn how to do do it yourself. So, um, I think that the health is is that balance and and just you know be it's like a seesaw. You're just in balance and you're not really having to. I think for myself, I quite a lot of traumas in childhood and and I used NLP and hypnosis and all the other skills that I learned to balance. So I was almost like my seesaw was dip 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 all the time and I was really good at balancing it so I could still achieve lots of things and then when I learned about havening what's so amazing is I don't have to balance my seesaw anymore it just kind of sits there quite nicely and hopefully we'll you know I carry on working with that so for me that's health it's, I think we'd call it homeostasis it's on balance wonderful and what about happiness what does Carol do to get happy do you even think it's something that's important yeah, I think happiness is important. And I think quite often people maybe don't spend the time thinking what makes them really happy. Um, I think happiness is bliss. And so, and I think that bliss, you know, I'm very busy. <laughs> and so uh, meditating's kind of tricky. So what I do is I make my life like a kind of different kinds of meditations, if you like. So I build in as much bliss as I possibly can. So, for instance, every item in my house has a story attached to it so that when I see an item, it could be the floor brush or the hoover. Um, it has a little story which my brain recognises, so my brain activates a lot of neural pathways and I get a wonderful cascade of chemicals. I feel good because I saw my hoover. <laughs> so I can kind of bliss myself, so I build my life to bliss myself out. And, and, um, and you can do that with very ordin ordinary things. Fantastic idea. I've never thought of that. The day that I get blissful feelings when I look at my vacuum cleaner is still to come. But <laughs> now that you've, you've inspired me. <laughs> and anything, I, anything that, that triggers a kind of unease, I check it out and I go, I say to myself, where did I learn? I don't like standard lamps or... You know, da, 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 da. and then I do a bit of healing to that original event and see how I see how I feel about it then so yes bliss bliss wonderful and serenity you you just mentioned about the fact that you that you don't really have the opportunity in time so much with being so busy to meditate but um, perhaps this is a bit of a crossover with the with the answer to the previous question but I think it's so important that we try and find these moments of serenity to just you know turn down the noise and get away from all this hecticness so do you have any other techniques that you use other than giving yeah, in your house stories yeah, <laughs> absolutely and it, again it's a kind of building it into everyday life so I'll give you a, a funny example of it um, uh, Sky Terrier has just joined our family and uh, when you read about them on the internet they are apparently very bossy, very, very active, and uh, you know, guard dogging and uh, always busy. So I thought, oh, just barked. And uh, so I thought, hmm, we need serenity here. So all the other dogs are uh, tuned to do lots of delta wave. And people come here just to engage with the dogs and be with the dogs and learn havening through the dogs. And so I thought, how are we going to deal with this little chap? So what I did was I taught him flopsy. So Flopsy involves him absolutely being serene. He lies on his back, tummy exposed, gets a stroke on his tummy, delta wave if you, if you like, 
and he's completely serene. So I'm building these neural networks in his brain because they epigenetically, he's more alert, alert dog. So it's like building this different landscapes. Imagine if all the children were taught, you know, to be, oh, come laid back, literally laid back. And so, and I've cued it to work so I can go in to the house to do a bit of hoovering or something and I can say flopsy. And he has this moment of serenity. So he'll lie there for five minutes and we kind of do that ourselves. So we're good at having a moment of serenity or doing things like the washing up in a kind of serene way. So I think I'm a great believer in can you weave it into your life? Can you build it into your life? Can you make those things like be stuck in a traffic jam? Oh, so then to do a flopsy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, rather than doing like, oh, Michela, like, oh, you know, and maybe just like leaving a little bit earlier. So you've got that bit longer. So you get to the airport and you're early, but that's okay. You can do some flopsy. So you can do some serenity. So yeah, I build it in. I, 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 um, prepare to build serenity in wonderful absolutely amazing i love that flopsy okay i picked up so many good (laughs) from you today just in one short session so um we're at the end of our time it's been wonderful carol thank you so much i really really appreciate you coming to talk to me and as i said we'll put the links to your web um website in the show notes and uh, for those of those uh, people who get the extended show notes, they get all of the details. So thank you again and really, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll put further links on my website so you can get to Havening.org and to Ron's papers. That would be wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Well, dear listeners, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Carol as much as I did. It's a fascinating technique, this havening. So just this gentle stroking on these specific areas of the body, bring around this this delta brainwave state that tells your brain you're safe and secure and and then can actually depotentiate all of these other pathways that you were thinking about just before you started that Um which have negative uh, connotations. I mean, it's so simple and yet brilliant. So I suggest if you want to find out lots more about it, which you should, then pop over to Carol's website. And as we said, we will have that link in the show notes. And she was very kind enough to offer to also put links to other organizations and um, more information on her website. So whether you wish to investigate this further, as a potential client or as a therapist wanting to train further, information will be there for you. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it, share shamelessly, as we always say, and go over to iTunes, please, and rate and review us. And of course, subscribe to the podcast because it makes a huge difference um, to where we are in the ratings and how easy it is then for people and new listeners to find us. So the higher that we are in the ratings, the easier it is for people to find us. So please make it easier by rating reviewing us over on iTunes. And iTunes is soon to die a, a sad death. Um, there's lots of us who've used iTunes over the years. It won't be too upset to wave them goodbye. But in terms of podcasts, um, iTunes will be replaced with Apple Podcasts. So similar to the app that iPhone users have on their phone. And as far as we're concerned, hopefully nothing's going to change. You'll still be able to find us over with Apple on the podcast app where you found us before. And the last thing I'd like to mention, of course, is if you would like to have extended show notes for future episodes of London Heal, then please come over to the website, join up, become a London Heal Insider and receive exclusive access to extended show notes, plus all the links to the any new episodes that's coming up and all that will be delivered into your email inbox. And we don't spam you, promise. So that's it for this week. That leaves me to wish you, dear listeners, as always, health, happiness and serenity.